0: All right. Uh, I'm doing great. Hopefully uh, you are doing great also. I have your book. I I have your book here. Um, Soul Journey Through the Tarot. So why don't we, why don't we just kick it off? I mean, these tend to be kind of conversational in format, but our audience loves tarot. So they're definitely familiar with the subject matter. But let me ask you, let me just uh, start off. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your book And the core, maybe if you want to communicate the core message of of why you wrote this book, Soul Journey Through the Tarot.
1: Okay. Well, you know, originally the book was written as a correspondence course. So it was written for the purpose of teaching the tarot. And then I think one of the main points of the book is the way it synthesizes different structures together the structure of astrology, structure of numerology and then the structure of the tarot along with other things such as colors and plants things like that the tarot is like astrology in that it does not relate to just one thing it relates to everything it's a mirror of of the totality so i'm an astrologer i started out when i was 18 years old i'm 75 years old now and then about in the early 1970s, I was attracted to the book, The Sacred Tarot by C.C. Zane, who founded the Church of Light. And so I very avidly digested that book and loved it. And that's what got me started on teaching tarot. And in terms of the message in the book, I think there's two things that stand out to me. One is the numbering system of the minor arcana, which I've been exploring now for maybe 30 or 40 years. And at first, I was very unsure if it actually worked, or to what extent it might work. I've decided it's it's a built-in thing now in, in my world. And whenever there's something really new brought to a a science or a study i think it's important to have a lot of information on it so i'm actually working on writing a second book that will just be on the major on the minor arcana and
0: uh, with the numbering system so why should somebody study tarot i mean what is it's definitely not the most in in uh, no pun intended it's not the most intuitive thing to get into even though it exercises your intuition like you're saying there's so much to learn why Why should somebody in 2023, almost 2024, study this very old system?
1: Well, if you study it, I think in the right way, it exposes you to divine harmony. It imprints you with that. So it has an elevating effect on the mind and on the vibrations. And it can be a real source of uh, spiritual
0: information and guidance. What is it about tarot that is unlike other things like I Ching or runes or magic eight balls that are well, actually, is special? What
1: is the second thing you mentioned after I Ching? Runes. Oh, yes. Well, you know, it's very much like those things. And it's really very much like astrology, too. If we compare it to the I Ching, the I Ching has a longer, more unbroken history connected with it. The tarot was always kind of on the fringe, really, of society, whereas the I Ching was in the heart of their society. It was part of their whole way of living and way of thinking. But certainly, the I Ching can do everything the tarot can do, and I'm sure that the runes can as well. So, in those terms, it's just
0: another system. That's such an interesting point, though, and I haven't considered that, that the I Ching was at the center of Chinese society. I mean, it was kind of like the manual for civil servants. And exactly. the tarot has always been a fringe pursuit, much like esotericism itself in Western culture. It's always been on yeah. the fringe. Why, why do you think that is? I mean, and and obviously those are two totally different types of societies that have produced different results, but why? why do you think that it's always been pushed to the fringes? Now it's well, not, it's now it's very popular, but
1: yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is that the the i Ching relates to the Chinese religious beliefs. So like in our society, we have like the Bible, which relates to our religious beliefs. But so many people think that the tarot is something apart from religion or it's not spiritual or like that. So I think it has a lot to do with the way it's labeled or identified, the way it's seen.
0: Alistair Crowley referred to the the tarot as a as a book, as a, the book of Thoth and as the ultimate yes, book I of magic that. and the ultimate book of magic and of initiation. Do you you agree with that? Yes, I do. I do. What is it about tarot that makes it into that?
1: The vibration of it. The to me the heart of the tarot is numbers. When you start studying these numbers like 21 56, that's the number of minor arcana, 78, the numbers for the whole tarot, when you start looking more deeply into them, they have, they're very significant. They're very important. And so I taught energy work at a massage school for about 10 years. And one of the things I taught, I didn't teach a whole course on it. I don't think people were kind of ready for that, but was on healing with numbers. Okay. Actually, where you project numbers to people for the purpose of healing various problems they might have, and this can be done through rationality or can just be done uh, purely intuitively and as the tarot's basis to me is numbers, then it, the tarot can it certainly is a vehicle of healing
0: hmm when when you say healing, do you mean like spiritual healing specifically or something yes,
1: else yes, I mean. Actually, what I really mean by healing is the fostering of the evolution of consciousness. I believe, as the Buddhists believe, that we're all moving toward enlightenment and we're all going to get there. But it'd be nice to make the journey have less suffering and hardship
0: associated with it. And you feel like that's where the tarot can be a guide? Yes, exactly. Gotcha. So if somebody is just getting into tarot, what, how should, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big field. If someone's just starting to learn tarot, how should they go about that?
1: Well, of course, my first response is to say, study my book, but there are other books out there in the tarot. And, you know, Jason, I get the impression that you're very knowledgeable about the field, you know, knowing authors knowing books, knowing what's out there and like that. Mm-hmm. I'm not very knowledgeable on those things. So it's hard for me to to say what other books they might study. Well, you know
0: it might I, not be books necessarily, but just kind of advice in general for how to start um, start how to, start, start how to and, and maybe an intuitive I'm guessing you you approach it maybe in a more intuitive way. And maybe talk about that and how you've approached it.
1: Yeah. Well I love the symbology of it, and to me, the symbols are are living beings, and they can speak to you. And so, I'd say, just allow the cards to speak to you. I think because I'm I'm an astrologer, and that's my major thing, that I've probably made my book complicated, because astrologers tend to be into complexity. And I would say... If you're going to read my book and you come across things you don't understand, just kind of gloss over them. In other words, don't feel like you have to take the information in in a rational, objective way. Just see what speaks to you as you read and let the vibrations of the words just kind of osmos into you.
0: Okay. What if they are just picking up Tarot itself for the first time, and not necessarily your book. If there, I mean, I'm sure you have advice in the book about how to begin learning and integrating tarot. Yes.
1: Well, you know, one thing that one can always do is simply lay out the cards and then see what what comes to you, and and follow that, and set the intention that you desire for the tarot to stimulate and open up your own intuition.
0: Do you feel that that's what the tarot is for? What? As a, well, you kind of described it as a tool for opening up your intuition. Yes. Yeah. I
1: believe yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. Talk about I that. Think the tarot, Go ahead. I think of the tarot as a mirror. So what we really want to do is make sure the mirror doesn't doesn't have a lot of junk or grease on it. You know, we want to see clearly into the mirror, so we want to try to clean the mirror.
0: What was that process like for you of cleaning the mirror? Maybe there's some, if you can relate some stories from that process of as you were beginning to work through the tarot, however long that lasted for you.
1: That's an interesting question. I think I have a kind of unique relationship with the world of the intuition. Because on the one hand, I own that I'm very intuitive. But my problem is that so often... I don't know what the nature is of what I'm picking up on. I don't know where it's coming from or, or what it means like that, you know? So my challenge has been to, to try to understand that. And I've been working with that for a long time and, and it's really helped. And then one thing I always say about the tarot is you're going to get out of it, what you put into it in that respect. I often I compare it to such things as a piano. You get out of a piano what you put into it, you know. And so it's very important to bring to it a positive intent and a high intent, and and then to ask. And then when you feel like you're getting results, like getting answers, it's very important to follow their guidance hmm. and to try to invent actions that are based on the guidance you're getting. Because if you do that, it creates a cycle. It cycles the energy. It tends to suck more out of the tarot. And then the more you use that, you know, the more of the tarot you're in tune with it.
0: That's really interesting. I, let's talk about that. Because I think <clears throat> one thing that I've noticed, and that I think probably people who uh, work with divination, which is quite a lot of people who listen to this show have probably noticed, there's always a tendency. I know particularly with the I Ching. There's always a tendency to ask again. It's like, oh no, that can't be the answer. <laughs> you know, it's like, like let, let's maybe I got that wrong. Talk about that process because it it, it occurs to me that what you're talking and I love that phrase, inventing actions. It occurs to me that that kind of you know not second guessing is a big part of the the art and, and figuring out what's what's an actual transmission and what's not or what's a correct interpretation and what's not. Talk about that process in and navigating those waters
1: okay well first i want to tell you a little joke and this is yeah. a joke kabbalah it's just a kabbalah story where the guy goes to the rabbi and says rabbi i keep praying to god i i pray and i pray and i pray and god just does not hear my prayers and the rabbi says mm-hmm. yeah god hears your prayers and the answer is no <laughs> <laughs> So, so, you know, sometimes it, it's hard to do a reading for yourself. And the more invested you are emotionally into the answer, then I think the harder that can make it. But one thing I think it's great to do is to keep a tarot journal. Mm-hmm. And so if you ask a question, write down the cards you get. And that way, see... Most people think, oh, I love it when, you know, like I asked the tarot a question and I lay out the cards and it's all clear. I really clearly see what the answer is. I, I clearly understand. That's great. But, you know, when you ask the tarot a question, you lay out the cards and you don't understand it at all. I think that's a wonderful thing because mm-hmm. you're at the cutting edge of your understanding right there. And if you can work to understand what those cards mean in that context, then you're making progress, you're learning, Mm. you're getting into the deeper meanings of the cards. And so often too, you know, and I see this in astrology a lot too, people will get a particular notion in their head what Libra means or Aries or Taurus or Mm -hmm. Mars or something Mm -hmm. like that. And so then, when they look at a chart, they always go to that meaning that they're accustomed to. When actually these things, you know, if you look at one degree of latitude or or one degree of longitude in the sky through a gigantic telescope, you're going to see millions of galaxies in that little teeny sliver of the sky. So... Astrology and tarot are like that too. These things are very, very vast and they're very deep. Mm. And so, oftentimes, the the one idea you have about Arcanum 7 doesn't fit the, the answer. But if you look deeper into Arcanum 7, you can see other, other facets of it, <laughs> other ways to apply it, other meanings. And that can enrich your understanding of that card. So what is your...
0: that kind of answer your question? Yeah, it does. That I really like that, and it, it seems like, I mean, I feel like that's probably the way to improve any skill—just getting to the edge of your comfort zone. That exactly. makes sense. Yeah. So and, go ahead.
1: Oh, well, and getting to the edge of your comfort zone is about taking risks, and you know, there's a reason why they referred to alchemy as the Ars Regia, or the Royal Art, because really, I think anybody that picks up the tarot any of these kind of things it's like picking up a paintbrush you're an artist and and the whole deal with being an artist is you need to take risk Mm. because risks are what grow you and expand you and of course we've all taken a big risk just by taking on a human body that's a huge risk
0: yeah yeah
1: and so you're you kind of just you decided before you were born you were going to be an artist Anybody that comes into a human body is an artist.
0: What do you mean by that specifically?
1: Oh, that you know, Seth, speaking through Jane Roberts, told us that we create our own reality. So you look around you and you think it's all out there, but right. it's all really in you and you're creating it. So
0: you're this is your art. One of the everybody's life is their art. For and from my experience, one of the trickiest things about tarot readings or esotericism in general is kind of getting to the what you just the the understanding that you just expressed, which is that it's all internal, not external. But right. from then then negotiating, understanding other people are in the same position. And I think a tarot reading is an excellent opportunity to kind of figure that figure that boundary out. Is that kind of your Talk about that a bit. I mean, like, how do you, for instance, when, you know, when you're giving a reading, I mean, maybe the the question is as simple as when you're giving somebody a reading, how do you get your ego out of the way? But really, it's how do you tell the difference between yourself and the other person? Because I've had tons of tarot readings that seem to have been through a clear channel. And then I've had tons of tarot readings where the person seems to be projecting stuff about themselves on me. So
1: when they're projecting stuff on you, that's why I use the metaphor of the greasy mirror. It's got dust and grease and gunk on it. So they can't see you because they're looking at their junk in, on the surface of the mirror. And so I love psychotherapy. But of course, there's a problem with that. There's a lot of psychotherapists out there that aren't very good. But I have been blessed in my lifetime with having spent time in therapy with some very good ones. And they've helped me immensely. And I think the more we, See ourselves. The more we come to know who we are, that's what will help of getting the ego out of the way. And I very much adhere to the ideas of Kabbalah, and really, Kabbalah equates the ego with Satan. Hmm. They think of the ego as really the source of all
0: yeah. Uh, suffering. Yeah, yeah, and I can certainly see that. Yeah, yeah, that's a tricky one though, because you know, in our society demands you to have an ego. And well, so that's that's a tricky n- navigation. It does. It does, yes. And that's certainly something that I think tarot readers and astrologers, because it's a job that they ha- basically have to navigate that boundary professionally, I think tend to be really good at that. Yes. So I'm also curious, how has the, you said you're 75, how has your perspective on tarot changed over your life? Has it gone through phases, different interpretations? Yes. You know,
1: I have Mercury in Gemini. Mercury rules Gemini. And so I have a very strong Mercury. And then it's conjunct Uranus. And those two planets are opposed Jupiter. So I'm kind of interested in everything. And what I love about the tarot on astrology is I can relate everything to those things. I I, I really love that. And I used to be really into the rationalistic sort of side. I'd say, just to generally ask, answer your question, the drift in my life has been from the intellectual to the intuitive more and more and more. And it's not that I don't think highly of the intellectual. I think it's a wonderful
0: thing. It's just that less and less is it my bag. Less and less is. How? What? Clarify that last point, please. I'm not sure I understand. Well,
1: it's kind of like when I used to do tarot readings earlier on. I would try to figure out meanings in the cards, figure out how they applied, and make sense and justify. So that if anybody asked me, I could write it down, almost like a legal brief. And now it's more just. It's much more watery now. It's just kind of feeling into the cards, almost like an anemones, putting out feelers, just feeling around in the energy and feeling what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And then but for me in a reading, when I'm doing a reading for someone and I'm talking to them, sometimes my words feel kind of mm, vague or like more like echoes. They have a weakness about them. Mm-hmm. And that's telling me that, no, this is not, the, this is not where you need to be going. And then sometimes I'll say something and it's like, oh my God, it's like on a billboard. It's just, it feels clear and sparkling. Yes, that's what you need to say to them. That's it. Go, you know, and then I'll go for that. And invariably that turns out to be that Hmm. that's it. That's it.
0: Do you think that that's a faculty? What do you think that faculty is? And do you think it is, is, do you consider that psychic? Do you feel it's just intuitive? Do you feel that that is developed by tarot? Was it something natural to you? Like, where did that faculty come from?
1: Well, first of all, I tend to think that everybody has it. I think it's very natural. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, what was the other part of your question?
0: What was the other part of my question?
1: Huh? I was going to say, I can't remember. kind of shorted out. The reason I shorted oh, it out oh. is
0: I'm speaking about space aliens. Oh, well, tell me about that then.
1: <laughs> well, you know, so often when people have encounters with them, like they don't speak, but they hear what they're saying in their head uh-huh you know and I think that's what we're all evolving toward okay it's just intuitive communication we just can intuitively communicate
0: yeah I mean I think we already do to a, a, a large extent already oh, in, yeah including at a I distance think we do including at a distance so
1: yeah but I would say that unfortunately a lot of times that gets kind of ignored yeah in other words like you're getting signals from someone, but most people are taught to ignore those, you know, to kind of just go for what is rational and makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it seems to me that really the process of learning whatever you want to call it Kabbalah, magic, astrology, tarot, psychic arts, you know, all of this stuff really, really a lot of it does come down to learning how to turn off that part that sidesteps your intuition or your creativity, yeah. your creative impulses, or your imagining, you know, your daydreaming. How to, but, that, that's, of course, people shut that off for a reason, which is it makes it very hard to function in the rational world and it makes it hard to go to a job and all of that. So talk about the process of navigating that territory of kind of, you know, shutting that off, but in a constructive and healthy way. And you mentioned that you love therapy. For me, therapy was very helpful as part of that process. Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic. Meditation and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the ADAPT initiative is the place to go. The ADAPT initiative is the flagship course on magic.me and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You're really going to dig it. Go check it out and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E.
1: <laughs> One day I was sitting talking to my therapist and I was talking away, talking away. And he said, yes, and I see that today you don't want to relate to me. And I said, what? I, I, I'm trying to relate to you. And he's no, I just feel you're you're really not relating to me. And I said, well, I, I I'm trying to, I mean, and he goes, no, wait a minute. He said, There's nothing wrong with not wanting to relate to me. There's nothing wrong with that. He said, I just wh- what I want to do is just make you aware of that. It's, but it's okay. Oh, if you feel that way, if you don't want to relate today, that's okay. And it was just like this dawning piece hmm. of insight to me. It was like, wow, he's right. Uh, yeah, I don't want to relate. And so that that's why I'm talking a mile a minute. Hmm. You know. It's almost like a blabber Oh, interesting. Screen.
0: It was like it was protect to be protective of yourself by by not letting someone else uh, speak,
1: yeah, and since I have Mercury and Gemini, the way I do it is with a bunch of words. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Capricorn might do it by just becoming silent, but but the Gemini does it with words. Oh, interesting. Um, but the point of it was to be aware of what you're doing, to be aware of what's going on inside you. That just feels like the key to the whole thing. And it's so very simple. There was some female Buddhist monk that was dying recently. Someone has told me this story where they asked her, do you have any final words or final advice for us? And she said, yeah, attention, attention, be attentive. And they said, well, anything else? And she said, yeah, be attentive. And then she died, you know. Hmm. And really, it's just like saying, if you can just be aware of, of what you're doing, it, you know, just just tune into it. It's the ultimate healing. It's the ultimate med- med- meditation and the ultimate healing. I feel. Mm.
0: When when you say being aware of what you're doing, do you mean kind of mindfulness in the moment? Do you mean self observation of patterns that you do, or what do you mean?
1: Yeah, the whole thing, and and just uh, mindful of what's going on in you. Like uh, my background is in gestalt therapy and they're big on putting attention on the body because all our emotions reflect in our body so when you're having strong emotions if you start noticing what you're feeling in your body that can what the attention does is it heals it attention heals
0: yeah i i i found the same thing have you ever done vipassana uh, no, what's no? Well, it's it's. Basic, heard of that? Basically, Theravada Buddhism. It's original Buddhism, and it's taught. It's Thai, Bu- Thai Buddhism. It's it's taught all over the world, and it, uh-huh. it's lar- lar- I mean, there's a lot to it, but they largely teach it in ten day meditation retreats, where you basically just stay still and pay attention to your body sensations for ten days. Yeah, that's exactly it. What I'm it's talking profound. About. I think that's probably one of oh, the yeah. most one of the most profound spiritual experiences I've had in my life uh, by far. So that, yeah. That's wonderful. I mean, just that, that, that blew my mind. It's like, oh, like basically yeah. everything that I'm doing is just to avoid my body sensations.
1: Exactly. When your body sensations are unpleasant, we flee from them. And that gets into Arcanum uh, 10, the wheel. Hmm. We're, we're trapped in our body and in on that wheel are those two beings and the wheel is turning and the force is throwing them away from the center. And so when we have very difficult emotions, we fly from the center, you know, we move away from, but then if we allow ourselves or set the intent to move toward them, then that's what can ultimately take us
0: eventually into the center, Hmm. which is the place of ultimate healing. I love that. That's so, I never connected those things and I always love it because I'm also a Kabbalist and I also, I always love it when I can make a new connection or relate something from another spiritual tradition to the Kabbalah. And I think that like thinking of the wheel of fortune and the two beasts or the creatures that are on it as attraction and, and attraction and revulsion, you know, craving, right. and the, the Buddhist thing, that's super interesting. Yeah. I did make the connection actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I may have even in this retreat thought about the wheel of fortune as the wheel of Maya and that Maya is produced by that. That constant oscillation was—is my yeah. feeling about it. It's not some external yeah. force. It's actually the oscillation of the mind between craving and aversion.
1: Yes, and so you'd probably think of it also as the wheel of karma.
0: Yes, the bava, Bhavacar- well, the, yeah. the bava chakra. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. I think so. All yeah. those, all those things, you know, are are in that 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 metaphor. I, I
1: just flashed too that the so the wheel of karma has eight spokes, and then the two creatures on the wheel make a total of ten. And that's the number of the card I just splashed on. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah.
0: yeah it's, a, it's very tempting often with tarot to see it as a universal language or like, oh, these symbols are throughout all religions. And there's like a lot of instances of that being the case. But also, I yes. try to resist that a little bit too, because it, it can be a little bit too cut and dry, I think, right? and miss maybe some some details about things. By, yes. by shoving them into a filing cabinet that they might not 100% belong in, maybe they 80% belong in it.
1: Right, right. Yeah, the human mind has a tendency to want to put things in little pigeonholes. Yes. Yes. You know.
0: That brings me to another question I was going to ask, which is, you were talking about when you get to the edge of your comfort zone, in terms of interpreting the cards, where do you go to for insight on that at that point? Do you just consult your intuition? Do you go, you know, start reading definitions in books? Do you go for an academic source on what the cards mean? Mean Where, where do you go to learn more when you get pushed to that edge?
1: Often I'll go to the an- analyzing of the numbers, seeing if I can see something in that. And then maybe uh, sometimes even some doing some uh, free writing, like writing about the situation and how the card might connect. And a lot of times if I do that, stuff will start coming out, you know, it'll, it's like following a path in the forest and it leads somewhere, you know, you just keep going with it and it takes you someplace you didn't expect sort of
0: thing. Interesting. Very interesting. So, you, you know, the subtitle of your book is Key to a Complete Spiritual Practice. So I'm, I'm curious about, you know, going beyond just reading for yourself or for others, how do you approach, how do you approach tarot as a complete spiritual practice?
1: Meditating on the cards, and also going with the kabbalistic truth, or truth expressed in Kabbalah, that everything is alive. I'm ultimately I'm an animist, Mm. so the cards are alive, and you can talk to them. And the cards are alive with multiple entities and intelligences because each card is associated with like an angel you know with a plant with plants with different things and so the cards have intelligence and they have consciousness and you can ask them things you can ask the cards for dreams you can when you when you do that free writing i just spoke of you can set the intent by asking the cards please help me with this please allow whatever
0: needs to come
1: through to come through
0: do you do you do just a basic 10 card spread or have you worked with a bunch of of different ones and which ones do you tend to prefer
1: You know I often will just do three card spreads past present future or basis of situation or of it and then the third card is what it's moving toward and then as I work with those other questions will come up or I'll have questions in my mind about that
0: and so I'll lay out more cards Gotcha are you aware? You're, I'm guessing you're probably aware of how popular tarot has become with young people like in their late teens and early 20s.
1: I've been told that, yes.
0: Yeah, I'm just becoming aware of it now. I mean, I've been peripherally peripherally aware of it, but I was not aware of how huge it is. I mean, on TikTok, which I'd never get on, but on TikTok, the uh, tarot uh, topic, I think, is one of the most popular topics. It's got millions and millions and millions of people following it. And so lots of, from what I've been told, lots of You know, there's lots of like young people, like 18, 19 years old, doing lots of YouTubes and TikToks of tarot information. And it's kind of like, you know, from the perspective of someone who's just starting and that's great. But there's a lot of, let me put it this, there's a lot of enthusiasm out there, but not necessarily, they haven't got to even understanding that there actually are right answers, you know, to the card interpretation. There are specific things in the Kabbalah. There are actual attributions. They, they're still kind of in the, well, if you don't understand it, meditate on it, which is, which is valid, right? But they don't know the, also the, 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 the type of stuff that's in your book, right? So I'm not, yes. you know, I think that's a positive. I'm sure a lot of people will, you know, those who continue on with it will learn more. But I guess I'm just curious your reaction to that becoming such a popular social trend.
1: Oh, I think people are just so thirsty for spiritual stuff. It's really what's lacking in our diet culturally. And I make jokes about how there's this huge alien invasion and this gigantic spaceship hovers over New York and they send down thousands and thousands of people that, that swarm out of the spaceship. And it turns out that what these people are are therapists. <laughs> and they're trying to send us help, you know? <laughs> so, I think people are uh, naturally looking for things that would heal them. Yeah. And uh, they're looking to the tarot for that, you know?
0: Maybe, I, I love that. I mean, maybe that's just the most simple possible answer. I mean, people need something that will heal them. I mean, I, I think probably most people feel that way. Probably everyone feels that way. Everyone else. Well, is- and
1: also, there's something very vivid about the tarot's uh, imagery and symbology. It has a real kind of like a psychedelic aura in a way Yeah, and in a way too we're kind of returning back to the 1960s
0: hmm.
1: you know how, how so the, how
0: so well
1: oh, all the interest in drugs and i see a lot of people the young people dressing and it reminds me of the 1960s
0: hmm. you know what what part of the world are you in i'm in kansas city missouri oh wow okay On, very cool My I'm, my my dad is from kansas city that's great
1: yeah, I say I live in the buckle of the Bible belt.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, I live in Austin, Texas, and people are definitely interested in drugs and hippie stuff here. Just not me. Oh yes. I'm 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 just I'm too old now, but but uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that what well what do you make of that? I mean that that I mean, it's incontrovertible that people have this intense yearning for spirituality, but it seems to just get more and more intense as time goes on. What, what do you what do you make of that?
1: Well, it's getting more intense because it's not being fulfilled enough. One of the things I love to do is go on YouTube and look at the Sadhguru videos. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: He has so many of them, and I think he's really uplifting. He, he he's a, he's so had many...
0: a very positive effect on people. I've kind of just been aware of him peripherally, oh, but people I, I know think people he's like him.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, he is truly wonderful. I do transcendental meditation. And I was very, am very enamored of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. I think he was just totally wonderful. And I, I put Sadhguru on the same level. You know, I I feel the same about about Sadhguru. And you know what do these people do on tiktok do they do readings tarot readings on I,
0: TikTok? I, i'm not sure i'm, I'm not I'm, I'm too i get the, the young people confuse me now i find tiktok too confusing to give you a clear answer but i think that because i'm never on it and i just hear this kind of secondhand. but i think it's like readings or people like tell you know talking about the meaning behind a card or showing how to do a spread you know like very base, basic stuff
1: you know i um uh, I decided I I was going to get myself, try to get myself more exposure by going on TikTok. Okay. So I have about, oh, maybe like 10 short videos on TikTok and what they are is talking about Bach flower remedies Hmm. and how they correspond to the different signs of the Zodiac and what they'll do and how they'll help you. Okay. And I've thought about getting on TikTok and doing tarot videos, but I haven't figured out how to approach it or
0: I don't know. I'm the wrong person to ask. It's, it's uh, I have no idea. It's like programming a VCR for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm so
1: happy to hear you say that. (laughs) (laughs) Why, Why is
0: that? You're not, you, you feel, uh, because I'm just like, I'm in the same place as you are with it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I I have grown, I've spent my entire life on computers, but it's just like I've got to the point now where it's like I I have no idea what this is. Like this is just completely <laughs> alienating. It's like watching it, it's like watching manic Saturday morning cartoons for seven year olds hopped up on breakfast cereal. So. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I, I I have noticed, I mean, not just TikTok, but social media itself has a tarot like aspect to it in the sense that like Instagram, Facebook. You know, you're scrolling and cards are coming up. You know, you're, you're, there's a random card. Each post is like a random card coming up. And you can kind of almost use it as, as a divination in a way sometimes.
1: I like that idea. I think that's great. And I have a friend who what he does is he see there's this woman on social media and she does tarot, tarot readings. And he gets on there to find out what's really going on with Megan and Harry. <laughs> Okay, and she does uh, tarot readings on Meghan and Harry. And oh, I bet those
0: to- are super popular.
1: And it's like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> is this, this you is on YouTube? Where is this?
1: Yeah, I think it's on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, is that that's yeah, like got a, a YouTube a, channel? A
0: Eighteen trillion views on it. Yeah, that sounds like it would be very popular. That's funny. So maybe to take it back to the what we were talking about. You know, I think there's been a huge push and it's wonderful since the 19th century to turn tarot into not just a divination, but a a spiritual tool, you know, and it was LFA's levy that united it with the tree of life. And I think that was, even if it wasn't, even if that didn't exist before, it's a beautiful thing that he did. It doesn't need to be right in tradition. I mean, I think it was incredible that what he did. So there's a lot of questions there. I mean, you know, one question that emerges from that is, was tarot always supposed to be a spiritual tool as people often claim it is? they say, it comes from ancient Egypt. They say that it's the ancient original book of initiation, all this stuff. But as far as I can tell, the actual history tends to only kind of take it to the middle ages in France and it was unclear. It just seems like it was basically playing cards or fortune telling cards that became playing cards. How do you like what are your thoughts on the origin of tarot where did it come from was it originally spiritual or is that something that developed later
1: Well I have certain images in my mind of that that are completely intuitive they're not based in fact at all but one of them has to do with the city of Fez in North Africa hmm. and there's something there's an element in that city that's very very spiritual and I have this vision about Kabbalists being there in Fez hmm. and putting together the tarot. So, the interesting. main book of the tarot is the Zohar. Mm-hmm. And the Zohar is 22 volumes long. And I
0: didn't I remember, realize it was 22 volumes. That's super. Yes. I, I did not realize that. That's super interesting.
1: Yes. And, and you, you relate
0: that to the tarot uh, arcana? Yes,
1: that's the major arcana. Interesting. I think that every volume. Of the Zohar, go corresponds to one of the cards of the major
0: arcana. Interesting, interesting. Okay,
1: and I think these scholars and holy people, wise people in Fez, had something to do with putting together images on cards for the tarot.
0: Um, you, you said this was a. You said this was a, a vision you had.
1: Yeah, just a constant feeling, something in my mind about
0: that. This is super, do you know the whole thing about, I mean, stop me if you know this, but immediately when you said that, I mean, Fez in Morocco, I believe is where uh, there were a ton of Jewish people there that migrated into southern Spain, and in the 12th century is where we get Lurianic Kabbalah, and that was basically Kabbalah is from Sephardic Jews that immigrated to, to Spain. Oh yeah,
1: that feels so right. There's like a river going from Fez to
0: to Spain. Is that a, is that a connection that you had made? No,
1: I had never even thought
0: about that. That's interesting, right? It's like, it's so interesting. Like you were saying, like, I was asking you kind of like, how do you follow up on intuitions? And often this is how it works for me. It's like, somebody will say something or I'll make a connection. And then like, I I get all of my best information from Wikipedia, like I'll look it up on Wikipedia and then I'll I'll find some clarification. It is wonderful. Yeah. So that, that's like, that that that's really interesting so that would suggest that it was a jewish community in morocco yes and do you have that's a sense of feels like you me? and you have a sense of that's where it was yeah i mean i'm looking at a map and it's like it looks like you could practically walk from the northern tip of morocco to the southern tip of spain or certainly swim oh, yeah. across yeah it looks like yeah. you could like like a swimming pool you could swim across um yeah. that's and so interesting I,
1: I've never heard anything about any tarot cards turning up in Spain, but then they turned up in Italy
0: or the earliest one. That is fascinating. Like I feel like that's actually a huge major piece of information if in fact, I because that's something that we could look up and try and verify. So what was your sense? Your, your vision was of people putting images on cards or what, what was your sense of what was yes. happening?
1: Yes. And I think uh, one disturbing thing about the cards is to me, and I'd like to know kind of what you think about this. You know, the I Ching is so, the I Ching is almost like modern art. Hmm. Those hexagrams look like modern art, you know, like hard edge, minimalist things, you know. Whereas the tarot card has all these different symbols on it. And then different people put other symbols on. And then there are older symbols and newer symbols and like that. And it's almost like I think of the tarot as these Walls that are just overwritten with graffiti kind hmm. of thing hmm. in a way. And on the one hand, it's very, it's very, all very rich. There's a richness of imaginativeness in that. But on the other hand, it's confusing. And then I think some of that imagery could be maybe wrong in hmm. that it doesn't
0: really go with the card, you know, doesn't fit. I don't know. So then my, my question is, and, you know, this is something that maybe there's probably not an answer for it. But my question is, how do you you determine whether something is wrong or not for a card? Or if not determine, what's the intuitive direction or or trajectory to go in towards feeling whether something is more correct or not? Like, what's the criteria on whether something's accurate, basically?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. And I don't know so much if there's an answer to it. I think it's it would all be in the feeling. But then m- the feeling I have might be different from the feeling someone else has. I'll tell you one thing that's always bothered me a little bit is that switch between the 8 and 11 major Arcana cards. What? What? Which one is that? Well, like in the weight deck, Arcanum 8 is the uh, woman, the maiden with the lion. Uh-huh. And then the justice card is given the number 11.
0: I didn't realize that was switched. I know about the switch in the Thoth deck with Zodi is not the star and all of that. But I didn't know that 9 and 11 had been... When were 9 and 11 switched? 8 and 11. Oh, eight and 11. When was yep. that? What, where and when was that? I think that was the Golden Dawn that did that. Because okay. the, the decks
1: that predate the Golden Dawn have 11 as the line in the Maiden
0: and 8 as the Justice card. That is super interesting. I know that Levy Elife's Levy was the one that you know that attributed to the the tarot cards to the paths, but supposedly he intentionally mixed up the order to throw people off the true secrets or whatever. And that's then I what th- I heard. Yeah, yeah. And then I think the Golden Dawn redid it, but yeah, that's definitely what. What is it in the Marseille deck?
1: In the Marseille deck, I'm almost certain that it's the it's the 11 being the maiden and the eight being justice. Huh.
0: I don't know about that. That's super interesting. And that's something I'd like to know more about that. That's, that's a pretty big switch.
1: And of course, something that I've gotten, I, yeah, criticized before a little bit recently and a whole lot in the past was my attribution of
0: the suit of swords to earth and the suit of coins to air. Why, 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 why did you make that change? That's, pretty major.
1: Well, it goes along with the original book I read, the uh, Church of Light Sacred Tarot book by C.C. Zane. And it also, I see it as going along with the tatwa system in Buddhism, whereas the uh, air is a blue circle. And so air would go with the coins, which are circles, whereas the yellow square goes with earth and even though the swords are not square they are in the form of crosses they like little crosses because of that of the handguard you know mm-hmm. so it it, lo- it looks like it has four points Did- and also i just like the symbology of earth is very very dense it's very dense and it's it's the thickest element and so to cut through that you need the sword whereas the coins the coins are symbols you know, they're like, they have pentacles on them sometimes. So right now we're exchanging coins in the form of words. <laughs> Interesting. My words, yeah. Your words, we're going back and forth.
0: <laughs> Trading. I like that. Like that. Yeah. I like that. Or like a board game. Yes. Lord, my favorite game is go, you know, this game.
1: I've always been
0: fascinated with that. It's fascinating. A game. I,
1: oh yeah. And see, once again, you get into this thing where Go is very minimalistic; it's just a grid with black and white
0: pieces. So it's kind of like those hexagrams, which are very minimal. The same, from what I understand, Go, the I Ching, and the Tao De Ching all stem from the same cultural period, and they're basically the same philosophy behind all three, as well as the Art of War. Well, no, I think that comes way later. Never mind; I take that last bit back. Although it's inspired by think. that. That so, makes sense. So, yeah. do you, you play Go? Well, I've attempted to play Go. I mean, this game is so complex. It took, you know, it it took AI 15 years longer to beat Go than chess. So I've, I've, I've played Go, but I've never, I've never been able to convince anyone to get super into it with me or met a really advanced Go player Presumably there's places I could go to if I really wanted to. Um, and the, 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 I think there are places you can play online, but they're not very intuitive. And they don't seem that fun. So what, what about you? It's something you've uh, pursued.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I've never played Go at all, but I, I, my partner and I own a Go board and a Go book in Japanese. And there's that novel by Kawabata about Go masters. I've never read it, but I love Kawabata's writing.
0: There's something very mystical to me about Go. I love it. I agree. I don't know hardly anything about it. I don't. I I mean, but you can learn the rules in like 30 seconds.
1: I Uh, know. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: great. But I did hear at one point there, I believe there are rankings for Go players similar. I think there might be the same for chess. And just, I remember reading somewhere. You know, if you study Go consistently for a year, the gap in skill between somebody who's even studied for a year and somebody who's just learning is basically Im- uncrossable. Like it's impossible for somebody to beat somebody with a year of Go experience if they're just starting. So there really is a learning curve on it. I've been. Obs- oh, yeah. I've been. A, I've really wanted if you ever if you get, want to get into it, and the, I, I'd love to find an online place to play. If anyone plays like I'll definitely play a game with you. But the uh, I've been obsessed with I really wanted to find. I've been really into games and game theory for the last year. It's just, it's just fascinating to me. I love games. I do too. I think they are a wonderful break from the stress of life and they're a wonderful way to connect and learn. And I think that, mm -hmm, go ahead.
1: Well, speaking of that, you know, I want to ask you this question. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of strange that there's no card game, like chess starts out with equal sides. Okay. There's no card games that start out that way, is there?
0: Oh, meaning you're dealt different hands?
1: Yeah, like in Bridge, everybody, you're you're dealt a random hand, and then you make the best of it. That's the nature of the game. But it seems like there would be card games where, okay, this person gets all the black cards, and this person gets all the red cards, and then you go from there.
0: Yeah, that would be a great setup. I mean, that's an easy enough setup. I wonder, yeah. It would be cool to make a game similar. I feel like it would be good to design a game similar to Stratego with that. Where you mm-hmm. could take like the the court cards and put them on the equivalent of a Stratego board, and and play that way and flip them over, you know, Stratego, where you have the, the tiles. It's like a Napoleonic era game. Oh no, I'd, I've never heard of it. It's game. a game from the 18th century that I th- or 18th 19th century that uh, is still around. It's one of the kind of core popular games that's sold by Hasbro or whoever, and it's it's similar. It's kind of a cross. I would call it a cross between chess and Risk. But mm-hmm. you're kind of you have two armies set up on a grid. And the other player does not see who they are. I think, if I remember correctly, you see who you see your army. And the the idea is to capture the enemy team's flag. And you're doing that by you're pushing your pieces to fight pieces on the other team, but you don't know what they are. So then you flip both over. And so if we did this with cards, for instance, a king would beat a jack. But sometimes you hit a bomb, which blows up your your person immediately. And so you have to keep doing that until you flip over tokens to get to the flag. Anyways, that seems like I just occurred to me that seemed like maybe something you could do stratego with a card card a deck of cards maybe. Yeah. Or, or I mean, maybe you, even battleship. Maybe you could do battleship. I don't know.
1: Uh-huh. Interesting. Yes. And there used to be and there still is, of course. And I've read about it online, but I haven't tried it or worked with it. A game called Taroki or which uses the tarot cards.
0: Yeah, from what so I actually teach, I, I teach tarot at, uh, I have a school called Magic.me, and I also have Lon Duquette, who you may know, writes a lot of books about tarot, Is has taught a course there. And in his course, he talks about that it was originally, Taroki was what tarot came from. It was orig- or I think it was Taroki and Mamluk, there were two different games that evolved, that kind of merged together to, to with Kabbalah to create, or whatever happened to create tarot. That's super interesting. So do you know much about that game and how it's played? No, I know almost nothing about
1: it. I feel I like just read that it existed online.
0: I read about it. Card games with Terror would be super interesting or It would be. Yeah. Yeah, that would be super interesting. I feel that games are an excellent way to learn anything. So uh Oh yeah. Yeah. So what what decks do you tend to favor?
1: Well, you know, here I have this one here. <clears throat> This is a real extreme one. So there's this Scandinavian artist named Hilma af Klint, a woman, and she did abstract painting. And these two women recently had a show in New York, and they have done a whole tarot deck, and they say it's channeled from Hilma af Klint. Mm. And... So here, that's super cool.
0: The abstract futures deck. Whoa, that looks super cool. It's a futurist art. Yeah, by Hilma's it's, ghost. It's a, by Hilma's ghost. That's great. Yes. Tarot decks are such an awesome art form. I mean, I feel like it's a great thing to collect as well.
1: Yes, and here's so here's kind of what the cards look like. This is um, like this is the Knight of Pentacles.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So yeah. for people who are I just. That's so cool. That's like Tatva art, modernist tattva art. So for people who are just hearing this as a podcast, what is this deck? It's called the Abstract Futures deck. The Abstract Futures deck. And you know. It's super cool. Yeah, I love that's, that. That's it, super cool.
1: Yeah. These are great. And you know, they kind of free my mind because there's no objects in them. There's no people in them. Yeah. There are these abstract patterns. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I love The only drawback to this deck is. It's a limited edition deck, and the deck a $100.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, looks, looks worth really it, though. It looks worth it, even as an art object for a coffee table.
1: I would love it if Inner Traditions, who published my tarot book, would publish an edition of that deck. Do they do tarot decks? Yeah, I think they do, yes. Okay. Yeah, they do. That's cool. And they do other kinds of decks too, like decks that are not 78 cards, but yeah. like, you know,
0: oracle decks and things like that. Inner Traditions is also my publisher, so I end up interviewing a ton of Inner Traditions yeah. people on this and podcast. I, yeah. did,
1: did they publish the John D book? Yes, they
0: did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, you know and about I tell that. You Thank you. funny story about that book? Yes, please.
1: <laughs> so, I was looking you a couple of days ago online and I saw that you had written this book on John D. So then, I have on my on my Kindle uh, on my phone. I have like five hundred books, maybe, and I noticed that that book, your John D book, I had purchased it oh. a couple of years oh, ago. Well, thank you. <laughs> and I never read it. Okay, but you know, I do this all the time. I will, I will get the intuition. I I need to have something, and a lot of what I buy that I don't read are things that are of extreme high quality, which I would consider your book to be. Thank you. And I thought it was so funny that I owned that book and didn't. And so, la- and so last night I was reading in it and I thought, wow, this is really good. This is wonderful. Thank I you. really, I, I can't wait to read that whole book.
0: I appreciate it. Yeah. That's a yeah. great book. Yeah. I, you know, I, I wrote that book to, basically for myself to try and understand the the full picture of not just John Dee but the western esoteric tradition and that's why there's a lot of stuff in that book about 12th century Spain and and reading about that and about how kind of esotericism went from there to the italian city states i didn't like that stuff is super fascinating like cuz for me like you know reading new age stuff for tarot astrology eching have always, to some extent, been fairly historically disconnected for me, because it's not the same thing as if, like you convert to Christianity. There's a known history there. If you convert to Judaism, there's a known history there, and so on and so forth with esotericism, magic, whatever you want to call it, it's kind of just scattered piecemeal and disconnected from any historical reality. But that's but there is a historical reality. It's like there's a specific role that this thing has played in Western civilization it's connected with for instance um migration patterns of the jewish diaspora you know the history of the church the history of religious conflict in the church the history of colonization it's like tied up with all of this stuff and it's just like oh, fascinating yeah. fascinating fascinating
1: yes and of course i think one of the problems too is like for instance even like with the nazis a lot of those historians that would write about the the occult you, the nazis involvement with the occult they didn't they didn't believe any of that stuff and they didn't really relate to it so when they wrote about it you get this picture that's not clear you know
0: Are you, you're talking about nazis who wrote about the occult or people who have written about Nazi... pe-
1: the people who later wrote about it oh the, i see they wrote about it from this kind of intellectual standpoint of you know they whereas more and more that i think we're getting a clearer and clearer picture of
0: what they really were into because Uh, you're talking about Nazi occultism. Yes. uh Oh, okay. So, so that's definitely not what I was talking about. So tangent, but, but uh, just to divorce those two things, I was actually talking about the spread of, of, of Kabbalah, but uh, yeah, yeah. but in terms of, so what were you, what were you going to say about the Nazi occultism?
1: Oh, just that uh, we haven't seen it clearly because these historians have kind of rejected it out of hand because they don't, believe any of that
0: stuff. Yeah. I mean that's kind of what I was saying in in John in the John D book. I think w- I think the deal with the Nazis is basically I think it was largely propaganda and crowd control for them because I I th- they 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 you know Hitler looked at all of that stuff the Asafi and the runes runology and all of that but they put all those people in concentration camps because I think that that what they wanted was to get some veneer of power or the symbology to make them look larger than life but the actual policy of the nazis was you know if you're basically if your attention is on anything except the fuhrer you're going in a camp so and they didn't like you know they put freemasons you know i'm a freemason so i would have gone in a camp you know for lots of reasons um Uh but you know in anyone i think that they saw any they saw occultism any occultism occultism that they didn't control as a threat so I, yes. I, do, I don't consider Nazi occultism, to, I mean, outside of Himmler, you know, there were a couple people like Himmler and Alfred Rosenberg who were pretty out, you know, and they were clearly out to lunch as well. Um, yes. but, and then Guido von, von List, but, well, oh, no, excuse me, not Guido von List, that's earlier. But I think by and large, it was just kind of state propaganda.
1: Yes. They were twisting things to suit their ends. Yes. <clears throat> and, you know, they, they love they loved Richard Wagner because they were trying to do an opera,
0: <laughs>
1: you know, and they liked his sets and costumes and myths,
0: you know. Yeah. Plus, he was a he was also a hardcore anti semite, so that helped. Yeah. Yeah. It's um. It is definitely endlessly fascinating and often very very disturbing to look back through history and see where this stuff kind of weaves <laughs> in and out. Yes. But that said, I mean, so sometimes it's good to divorce esotericism from history and tarot on its own is its own thing and is very pure and innocent, it seems. So that's, that's good.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So if someone's just getting into the tarot, I have two questions for you. One is if someone's just getting, and we can go one, one at a time, one is, and I think these are my last questions. One is if somebody is getting interested in tarot how can they begin a practice? And then my second question, and you don't have to answer this, I'll remind you after the first question is, when somebody, if somebody is advanced in tarot, like they've been studying it for 10 years, how, at that point, how do they deepen their practice and how what are good ways for people to push themselves out of their comfort zone to grow? So, so my first question is, how do people get into tarot who want to be into it? You mean like, say, what what books would they? Sorry, that's probably way too much information. Um no. If so well, not necessarily books, but if somebody for instance if somebody listens to this podcast and feels called to get into tarot. Uh yes. what do you recommend? I mean, should they what where should they start?
1: Well, you might start by just studying like one card a day. I'm very sold, you know, like on my own system. I feel like if there's a system out there that is more cohesive than mine, mm. Or even as cohesive as mine, I'd like to see it. I think the way I throw everything together is very is very harmonious. I mean, it totally makes sense to me, you know. Awesome. Um, I think meditating on the cards and maybe journaling about them is such a good idea. Is a great thing to do. Finding a community, too. Finding other people and then discussing the cards and then doing readings for people and writing down the cards that you get. Okay. And then maybe even writing out the interpretations you feel or, you know, how you feel those
0: cards answer the questions that you're asking. And then like looking back as time goes on?
1: Yes. And another thing I'm very interested in doing is using the tarot the same way you would use astrology. In fact, I've had this image of shuffling the deck, And then turning the cards one by one, the all 78 and writing down what you're getting, you know, writing down the order of cards you got, you do this for a person. And this would mirror, the the question would be, tell me about this person's destiny or this person's being. And so, for instance, Arcanum 1 has to do with mind. Whatever card you got first would mirror their mind arcanum two is virgo and whatever card you get for that would would mirror you know that in other words so you can interpret the whole deck you know kind of like as a replacement for their astrology chart
0: very interesting super interesting yeah i haven't heard of anyone doing that before
1: yeah it would be elaborate and extensive
0: that's good that's good sometimes the
1: nice thing about that too is you could tune into that Piecemeal. It wouldn't matter. You know, you could say, oh, I just want to look at these few cards here and see where they fall.
0: You know? Excellent. You wouldn't have to interpret the whole thing necessarily. I like that. So how about somebody who's maybe got 10 years of experience and wants to push themselves out of their comfort zone? What would you recommend then? Studying more astrology,
1: getting more into the math.
0: When you say math, do you mean like the gematria or
1: gamatria is a fabulous way of studying the tarot. Take words and add up the letters of the word and see what you get, and then to try to understand how that relates to what you're you're dealing with. Yeah, so numbers is a path. Another path is astrology, to study astrology and then relate that back to the tarot. Excellent. That would be another way of enriching Knowledge of the tarot.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems to me that the tarot, Kabbalah, and astrology are all basically the same thing. I mean, you kind of got to study all of them numerology, or specifically yeah. Kabbalistic numerology. Excellent. Yes. But I do have one last kind of random question. What do you think of Paul Foster Case? You know, I've read his, I've read some of his works. He was like an American actor, wasn't he? I didn't know that. I definitely know he's buried in, in, you know, cemetery in Glendale in Los Angeles, which is where a ton of actors yeah. are, are buried, as well as Paramahansa uh-huh. Yogananda is also buried there. So, you know, I remember figures.
1: very little about him, but tell me, why are you asking this? Because I'd like to know what you're thinking.
0: Uh, basically, I'm only just asking it because it popped into my head. But, but you know, I, I ask it, I guess, just because Paul Foster case is so widely considered to be kind of the authority on tarot in, in history. Yeah. And that so many people who get seriously into tarot Study his work and maybe even take that Boda Builders of the Adidium Correspondence course that they they teach tarot through. Oh yeah, just kind of just kind of fielding your. It just popped into my head to ask you, basically.
1: Yes, so I was so much more connected to the Church of Light, you know. So I knew about Paul Foster Case, and a long time ago, I read his
0: a good a good amount of his writings but i don't really know that much about him. Let me i'm just going to look him up real quick cuz i know he i believe he was golden dawn but he was pretty hardcore theosophist i could be wrong. I just want to make sure i'm getting this right. You make me want to go back
1: and read more about him now. He's definitely
0: yeah. definitely an interesting guy. Yeah, he he's also he's also come under some i think proper probably deserved criticism because he when he was doing this stuff twenty in the ages of twenty to twenty four, he did a lot of very paranoid warnings to people that the occult or specifically pranayama would destroy their lives, and they're they're probably probably produced by him incorrectly doing yoga, and then blaming that even though he didn't do it correctly. Anyways, just a, I was just looking up to see if he was an actor, and I, I don't I don't see any of that. I could be wrong though.
1: Who am I thinking of? There's somebody I'm thinking of. They were in the movie Showboat. Who
0: I'm thinking Show- of. I don't know. Showboat. The one from 1927? Yeah, like it was old. Uh, is tarot a theme in this?
1: No, but there's somebody that was in that movie that was a prominent practitioner of huh. tarot. I'll
0: tell you what, I'm just going to ask AI. Maybe GPT will know who was the occultist that appeared in the 1927 movie showboat two words uh, not showbore i wrote (laughs) Showboar. hopefully it knows what i'm talking about well you know that there was alban grau was a very high up occultist in the Fraternus eternitai that that did all of the set design for the movie nosferatu in the 20s
1: oh yeah i love that movie
0: that's a great movie yeah so that's why that like all there's all the occult kind of Set decorations in that are uh, accurate. Okay, I, I, I this is not working, and I don't want to just sit here waiting okay. for it. So it's an open I'll question. Look for it too, and if I find it, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. Or if anyone who listens to this, please email and with the answer. All right. Yeah. Well, John, this was a phenomenal conversation. I apologize again for our. It, it took so many times to to get the conversation going, but oh, but no, thank you very okay. much. Okay.
1: That's okay. I really, I really enjoyed speaking with you. It Me was too. Great.
0: Me too. And thank you for the nice things you said about my book. And I wish you great, great luck with your book. Please well, tell people Soul Journey Through the Tarot. Please tell people where they can get it and where they can find out more about you.
1: Well, they can get it through amazon.com. I think it's on the Walmart uh, website too. Yeah. And you can get it from my own website, which is johnsandbach.net. Plus I ri- I've written another book called astrology alchemy and the tarot which is about the major arcana that can be obtained from my website and from Amazon as well as also the other books i've written i've written novels and i've written a lot of poetry wonderful yeah.
0: wonderful well ai just came through and it said there does not appear to be a well known occultist associated with showboat but what does well, ai I'm know think- what does ai know that it may not be correct so what am i thinking of hmm, i'll have to look at look through that i don't know Curious. All right. Well, great conversation. Wishing you great luck with the book and talk to you later. Well, thank you very much. You have a wonderful day, you I'll too. See you. Okay. Bye, John. Bye. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M A G I C K dot M E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class and until next time, hang in there.